1: Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. In today's episode, we will take a look at building out enterprise localization departments. This is a subject that we have covered in the past, yet it needs so much more attention because localization continues to be a support function and oftentimes treated as an afterthought. To talk about enterprise localization initiatives with me, I have invited Paula Hunter. Paula is a seasoned localization professional with over 20 years of experience helping organizations grow and succeed globally by building out successful localization programs with a focus on quality, scalability, and cost-effectiveness. Her experience in managing complex localization projects extends across all business units, including software, technical documentation, global websites, international marketing, collateral, and regional campaigns. campaigns and events, customer support and global product training. She currently leads the localization and technical documentation teams at Motorola Solutions Video Security and Access Control and is inspired by identifying opportunities to creatively problem solve, innovating on processes through multifunction collaboration and enabling teams to continually learn, grow and succeed. She is an active member in the localization industry and is passionate about sharing ideas and connecting great people to do great things. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Paula is on our show today. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Paula.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Please tell us about yourself and and what you do. Uh,
0: So my name is Paula Hunter, and I manage the localization and technical documentation teams at Motorola Solutions. Both teams support multiple brands within the video security and access control business unit. I've been in the localization industry for over 20 years. Uh, I started at Avigilon eight and a half years ago as the sole localization manager um, and have since grown the team to three additional members. Uh, Two years ago, Avigilon was acquired by Motorola Solutions. Um, And since then, they've made further acquisitions of other video security and access control companies that now forms this business unit.
1: Thank you for that quick introduction, Paula. How did you start your career in the localization industry? Uh,
0: Well, I've I've always had a love of languages and other cultures. Um, So I I received my Bachelor of Arts in Hispanic Studies, Um, graduated with that, was unable to find a job, As most Bachelor of Arts graduates. Um, and so then I had a decision to make. You know, I needed to take more education. My first thought was to get a master's in Spanish so I could teach Spanish at the college university level. Um, but then this program came up that targeted art students and women um, to try to get more women into the high tech sector. And so I signed up for that program. I got a bachelor, um, sorry, not a bachelor a uh, post-baccalaureate diploma in computing science. And part of that program um, was a had a co-op internship. And one of the jobs when I went to apply was a localization intern. I'd never heard of it. When I read about it, it sounded right up my alley. It's combining languages and computing science. So took that co-op job internship and the rest is history that was over 20 years ago it's
1: always interesting to work with in translation and localization we get to interact with people from all over the world uh, what stands out as some of your important observations and, and experiences in this industry from the time you started
0: yeah that's really interesting so like i mentioned i've been in the industry for over 20 years um right. but it's been very my my roles have been really diverse the first 10 years or so i focused on software localization project management where the vendors were defined the processes were defined the kpi were defined um, and there was a larger globalization team Um, at headquarters. So I didn't have a lot of insight into global strategy or even the localization program as a whole. The last eight years is really where um, I've learned the most. Um, And I focused on building out a localization team and program, you know, gained experience in vendor selection and management, tools, automation, marketing, website localization, globalization strategy. So my roles have really varied. But one of the key observations I've made over the past, I'd say, eight years is how much localization programs, team structures and strategies strategies differ across enterprises. There are as many localization structures as there are enterprises, um, you know, balancing in-house and outsourced resources, uh, prioritizing on the time cost quality triangle. Everybody does it differently. And then the other observation I've made is how, how much closer I feel our industry has come together particularly over the last two years. Um, I remember looking forward to the the one or two conferences of the year, you know, the, the Lock Worlds, the Gala, but now there are so many um, opportunities to engage and network and, you know, share best practices. And we've really come together as a family, um, the localization industry, I feel, and, and that's been, that's been really huge. Um, and just the visibility of localization in general, perhaps as a result of this. Eight years ago, there were no localization jobs posted when I was looking in Vancouver, Canada, where I'm located. Uh, and now I see you know, localization positions being posted. So I feel like enterprises are starting to recognize more and more the value and the need to have that expertise in-house.
1: So th- that's a good segue for, for my next question. We plan to cover the building out of localization teams in an enterprise today. Uh, you mentioned that you know there's variety in terms of how uh, this, this team is implemented. Tell us from your viewpoint, where does localization stand inside in an enterprise today? Please provide a high level view of the localization department, uh, You know, starting with your own company, but then uh, expanding to see what the rest of the industry, how do they treat localization?
0: Mm-hmm. I think in general, it, it really, like I said, it really comes down to how the enterprise itself is structured and how globalization and localization activities best integrate into those. I mean, we all know successful localization means you need to integrate with all of the stakeholders that you support. So ideally, every department has a global mindset and what that looks like could vary. Does that mean they have a dedicated localization manager or does it mean that they have a localization champion within each department? Um, So it really depends on the global mindset of the organization and it also depends on the localization expertise that you do have. You know, what is their experience? It's there, there's so many different options. And I think, you know, the person who will be driving that, it will, it will depend on their viewpoint, their perspective and their experience. Um, within our organization, lo- the localization team has recently moved into the engineering group. The last eight years, we sat within the product management group, which, which really gave us a unique perspective because product managers are defining the roadmap. And so that gives me an opportunity to see what's coming in the next year, two years, five years, and be able to ask those questions. You know, how, how are we supporting this product in other countries? But because my team, in particular, they are so integrated in the software development teams, and we rely, we need to be up to date with their tools and how they're operating and their organis- organizational structure. So recently we moved into the engineering group, which um, has really enabled us to leverage their tools and processes and and really be more part of that team. We can we can join you know social activities and get to know the developers even better. Um, and it's increased our visibility. Some of the quarterly business reviews, for example, now includes localization. So um, so it's, it's been really interesting to see um, the, the difference. Um, I mean, I think localization could fit anywhere. Ultimately, the team supports the whole organization. Um, so I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe it would be it would be beneficial for localization teams to move from department to department and. You know, that will help us understand how each group operates, but also increase the global mindset of those departments.
1: So a follow-up question is, now that you've moved into engineering and under and their umbrella, are, is your team involved in things such as internationalization of code, for example, to make sure that the code is localization ready as you're dealing mm-hmm. with this type of software? Are you involved with other upstream activities that you were not involved before?
0: Um, well, we've always been involved in the inter... The, our day-to-day work has not changed at all we're always responsible for delivering best practices, um, presentations to development teams at tech talks. And actually, in fact, most recently, we've actually developed an internationalization training course. Uh, We work together in collaboration with our training team and they've produced a, a training course for developers specifically to teach them about internationalization best practices and also what they need to do to integrate into our framework. Um, our localization framework. The way the team works day to day has not changed. What has changed is I am I have more insight into what's happening at a development manager level. So I report okay. to the head of engineering now, so I have more insight. Essentially, my team was already integrated into the development teams, but I was not. And so in right. order for me to better support the team, um, if I'm reporting into engineering, I have a better sense of, of what development is, is doing and working on and I can, trickle that down and then also escalate up things and more visibility.
1: Is there a separate division of localization that looks after things such as marketing localization for that matter, or do you interface with them or it's all contained within your business unit?
0: We support any department that needs localization. So my team also localizes marketing content, collateral, the website. We're in the process of internationalizing um, another brand's website, um, to prepare for localization. Yeah. Any, essentially any department that needs, Globalization or localization, they they come to us.
1: So you kind of answered this question already. We see that there's no standard template for localization department, unlike IT or marketing, as you mentioned. <laughs> you say that your your team has moved under engineering. How how has that affected the dynamics of your team uh, compared to how it reported before with the product team? It, it has a change in terms of a mindset.
0: Not really. Other than other than having more visibility um, within the engineering group, but we still support. I mean, localization, we all need to lead by influence. You know, we we carve our own path. And so I I don't see it as impacting our relationships with other stakeholders. We continue to support them. There there hasn't really been any change in the day-to-day.
1: Paula, let's go to the the basics of a localization team, because our theme today is building out an enterprise localization unit. Mm -hmm. What are the core components of an effective and ideal localization department?
0: Um... I would say creative problem solvers needs to be a team of creative problem solvers, um, people who are curious and self-driven, obviously passionate about other languages, cultures, and ultimately the end user experience, Uh, being able to see the big picture and also dig into details. Um, We need to be adaptable to how the organization changes, to how other teams change. Um, We need to be able to lead by influence, you know, we don't have, we're not a team of of developers. We have one localization engineer on the team now and a co-op student. Um, So we need to be able to lean on other teams to help us grow our program and automate and streamline and scale um, and be passionate about process optimization. Everyone on the team has quarterly goals on how can we do what we're doing better? What do we need to do? What are some of the pain points? So, you know, somebody who's, who's People who are really curious and, and want to understand and build relationships, people who are great at relationship building, nurturing, and curious.
1: Ideally, where should the localization department be placed inside an organization? You mentioned earlier that they should be moving from department to department, so they get to experience all the different uh, business units. Should it be a self-sustaining entity like customer service, for example?
0: Mm-hmm. You know when i when i said moving from department to department that was from you know it, it's been a really positive experience moving over into engineering now but i feel really strongly that globalization should be um as you described, like like customer service and, and should be reporting at the same level as all the other departments. I think for an enterprise to be successful globally, we need to have that global strategy. Product development, we have the most localization support there. Marketing, there's some localization support there, but it varies depending on budget. Um, and then customer service is a new department that we are starting to look into how we can support. Whereas if you have the globalization team sitting at the top, Um, then that globalization strategy can be defined by all of the departments that make up the enterprise and can ensure an end-to-end consistent user experience. And this is something that I'm actually starting to dig into um, and, uh, and have these conversations.
1: So th- that's actually an interesting point you just read, uh, raised there because um, it, uh, globalization or localization is a cross-functional activity, basically, it, it touches every aspect of the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Just like uh, IT does, for example, they look after all parts of different departments and so forth. Do you think mm-hmm. that at some point, localization will become something that, that will um, touch all of these different business functions?
0: Yes, I think it should. I think it absolutely should.
1: And for that to happen, do you need the executive support and sponsorship in order to raise the profile of localization to that level?
0: I believe so. I believe so. Finding the right people to talk to and and showing what sort of KPIs can be delivered and showing that end-to-end user experience. You know, finding the, the key is understanding the decision makers and what is important to them and, and, and showing them how having globalization at that level will help them achieve what is important to them. And again, it comes down to each enterprise. Every enterprise is different. Every leader is different. And it's a matter of selling that.
1: So Paula, how do you build a a localization team to be relevant to the current needs of an enterprise, as well as to respond to its changing needs as the enterprise scales up in size? What type of people planning, training, and mindset should the localization head, that's yourself, integrate into its DNA?
0: It depends on what localization activities are happening already, if any. Um, and understanding the international expansion desires and priorities of the enterprise. I can speak from my example. So, when I came into a Vigilon, a Vigilon did not have any centralized localization team or expertise. Every department was dabbling in localization already. So, the software was already localized, the website, a few pieces of marketing collateral. And so, and so what I did when I first came on was, you know, try to take off that burden from content authors so that they could focus on what they need to do and then centralize and look for efficiencies and optimization. So, um, really what I did was I went around and, and did an audit and I basically asked everybody, what are your pain points? You know, what are you spending the most time on? What are our international customers complaining about? And, you know, people love to talk about things that are painful, right? Their challenges. They love to (laughs) offload that stuff, but that is really important information. So you take that in and, you know, think on it, talk to your peers, talk to other people in the organization and, and look at, okay, how can we address these pain points? How can we make this operate more efficiently and effectively? And so from my side our developers really needed more support, but I couldn't give that and also pay attention to everything else. So the first team member I hired was a localization engineer. And so she was integrated into those teams, you know, and really got that process up to up to speed um, and, and working more efficiently. So the developers could focus only on developing and not dealing with vendors. And then the second team member I, I hired was a localization desktop publisher because we realized we were spending—I um, can't remember the percent. It was a high percentage of money with our vendor on desktop publishing. And if we had somebody internal, they could do that work and also customize and regionalize our marketing content. And so that was how—that um, was how the second person was hired. And then, you know, going back to our localization software process, there was so much potential for automation, um, but we don't have any developers assigned to our team. Developers are busy writing code, um, developing features. And so we pitched the idea of creating an internship within our team with a computing science student. And we've had this co-op program in Canada. It's called Co-op in the U.S. It's internship. Um, So we've had this co-op program now for five or six years, and it's been so incredibly successful. We will bring a comp sci developer into our team and we will empower them to look at how we're working and ask them hey where do you see potential efficiencies and and they are giving they are given so much responsibility and they make such an incredible impact to our team and we feel like we' are educating one software developer at a time um, and putting them back into the workforce and now they understand internationalization and localization so we feel like we're giving back because they still don't teach this in at least in the universities here in Canada that I'm aware of, uh, internationalization within these programs. So these students now have that knowledge. that's essentially how my team is made up today, looking for challenges, looking for areas of opportunities and focusing on that.
1: So l- let's talk about perception. Uh, I recently spoke with Talia Baruch uh, about in great depth about this topic. How does the rest of the organization or enterprise perceive what your department does? Uh, mm-hmm. As we've talked so far, I mean, it's it's a new area and it's, it's proliferating, it's growing. What do do they perceive? Is it the right assumption versus the reality of what your team actually does?
0: That's a really great question, and it completely depends on who you talk to. So developers, because we're so integrated into those teams, most developers fully understand what we do because they need to adhere to certain principles in order to have their... Their software localized, um, but then some backend developers, you know, aren't aren't necessarily that aware because they're not working with UI. So it, it really depends on the level with which we are we are integrated with the teams. Um, we do make a concerted effort you know what part of our team mandate is to every time we hear of a new team that spins up or a new, new hire or you know a new acquisition um, you know it is our it is our mission to go out and, and increase visibility across the organization um, that software internationalization training course is one example um, and now being part of engineering as part of the all hands meetings you know I, I have an opportunity to, propose some topics that are related to our team. So it it really depends. Um, I think as a localization team, back to your question about the DNA of a localization team, I think it's really important for everyone in the team to always be, have that mindset and, and look, think on how can we increase our visibility? You know, what what sorts of wiki pages or or other pages, how can we share with the organization what we do? And, you know, I task every team member to think on new ways of, of promoting our team.
1: So on that note, uh, what type of evangelization activities you found to be effective and useful? For example, lunch and learns. What is it that your team does in order to raise its profile?
0: Yeah, there, there's a lot of that. Lunch and learns, um, tech talks. Um, we, we, we try to edge our way into uh, town hall meetings. Um, if there's team meetings, um, just just always looking for in, um, opportunities to do that and and like I said, um, with the teams we work with, that is part of our DNA. We need to identify these opportunities, find out when these departments are having you know quarterly reviews or team meetings and you know get 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 ourselves as an agenda item on there. so again, you know back to just being curious and friendly and making these relationships and building these relationships and you know, spreading the word and approaching it from the point of view, we are here to support you. We want to help you help the organization expand internationally
1: when we we talk about educating our clients internal clients which is obviously other business units in in your organization you and i Mm -hmm. both know the executive sponsorship for localization is critical where do they (laughs) stand today in terms of uh, supporting the creation and sustaining of a localization unit compared to how things were when you started working in this area in the enterprise at the start
0: Mm -hmm. well like i mentioned at the start i didn't really have any visibility into that i was given i had a, a very specific role very specific tasks, and I executed on them. I didn't have any visibility into that. So I can only speak to my experience over the last eight, nine years in my current role company. Again, it comes down to the people. I mean, executives can turn over right? We've had a few different executives since I've started. And every time there's a new one, that is an opportunity to educate and, and share, right? Um, and every executive has different ideas about um, globalization and prioritizing that. I'd like to think that the executive sponsorship has increased in our organization um, because of the growth of the team and um, raising our visibility. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard for me to speak outside. I do in some of the in some of our peer networking um, gatherings. I do still hear, you know, a lot of challenges, a lot of a lot of localization managers on the client side struggling with that. So, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to really generalize on on that. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more.
1: Do you think that the industry has a role to play in order to raise uh, the profile of localization at general business level, like, if, you know, to, for example, um, we have these different uh, industry groups such as Gala and Localization World and so forth, are they mm-hmm. doing enough in order to to raise its profile so that executives get to learn about what we do at, a, you know, a, a, at a business level, not just, you know, having this obscure group of people um, that show up and mm-hmm. doing lunch and learn from time to time, which Some Mm -hmm. people have actually complained about that they can't get their voice out.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, that's a really, that's a really, really good question. I'll admit, I haven't seen a lot of that being offered. So, you know, if, if these groups, uh, I'm I'm just thinking uh, off the top of my head right now, but if they put together, you know, some, some pitches to help localization managers sell that, sell that idea, I think that's actually a great opportunity for vendors to help support clients.
1: So related to that, would you think it would be helpful to create, for example, a study to say uh, that large enterprises or even platforms such as Google, Facebook, Amazon, when they started localizing across different business functions, this mm-hmm. is the type of uh, statistics or KPIs they, they were able to accomplish. And and if we were to replicate that and, and use our localization teams in this way, we would see mm-hmm. you know um, this type of uh, productivity gains. Mm-hmm. Do you think a study like that would be helpful and who should be doing that for example we have these different industry bodies we just mentioned mm-hmm. if, if we were to present that would that help raise the profile of localization
0: i think so i think so i mean i know that there are localization engine um agencies that that do provide these services but i think more of that would be would be helpful
1: do what type of um research do you use and in, in your work in order to improve the productivity and the overall performance of your of your team
0: mm-hmm. um it's really a lot of it is, is peer networking and uh, talking to other localization managers. What have you done? Um, and also leaning on our vendors. So so for me personally, our vendor has always been well, we have a few now, but um, our primary vendor has always been a partner and an extension of, of our team. Um, particularly in the early days when I was alone supporting the whole organization, I really leaned on them because I didn't know the first thing about marketing localization or you know localization of training content and that sort of thing. So so they actually provided they were they were crucial they were a key part in in building out my team.
1: Speaking of of vendors, uh, Paula, let's let's talk about uh, about them. They yeah. see your organization as an entity defining their requirements. Do they understand that your team is not just about purchasing text translation from them? How, how would they uh, add additional value to your deliverable?
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. No, they are involved in everything that we do. You know, the automations that we, well, most things that we've done. You know, we do some localization, test automation. So so all of our script writing is done internally. But in terms of tools, you know, we have a combination of our own in-house on-prem tools. We we use tools hosted by our vendor. Um And, you know, they have suggested opportunities for for being more efficient because it's in their best interest, too. Right. Like the more efficient our processes are, the better statistics they're going to have on turnaround times and quality and and all that. So so we are very partnered with them. Um, Sometimes they come to us with suggestions. Hey, we noticed, um, you know, we have other clients who do it this way. Um, This could probably benefit. You guys do you want to explore this. Um, And then we do the same, you know, we were at a conference, we were talking to a peer, they're doing this, can you help us implement that? So it is, it's, they've absolutely been, um, they do provide those suggestions, um, which we really appreciate. So yeah, they are very, they are very involved in in our processes and how we operate.
1: And, And that is a good segue to my next question, Paula. Localization teams or departments can be fully self-sustaining, meaning that they have their international translation teams, as well as they can have a hybrid model where the spillage of translation work goes to outside vendors, and Mm -hmm. then there are localization teams that don't do any of the work in-house. Please tell Mm -hmm. us about the pros and cons of each model for for those localization managers that want to know, and uh, Mm -hmm. when is one appropriate for an organization versus another one?
0: Yeah, I mean if you the more the more you have in house basically how much responsibility do you want to have right and how much money do you have to invest internally not all organizations have you know, money to invest in, you know, in-house translators, in-house tools developers. Um, And what makes the most sense? You really have to look at, you know, cost benefit. Um, And we go through that, you know, quite often, particularly with tools, do we want to purchase our own tool? But when the more you bring in house tools wise, the more headcounts you're going to need. And then that increases the risk. If you lose somebody and you have this tool and you have no one to maintain it, um, it's going to go down. I kind of, I liken it to, um, you know, as a parent, sending your kid if you need after school care and before school care, do you send them to, you know, a, a, a daycare or do you have a nanny, right? If you have them at home with a nanny and the nanny gets sick, it's all on you as a parent to deal with that. Right. Whereas if you send them to a daycare, you um, and somebody gets sick, they've got all these backups right so the vendors have that backup so I mean there I've, I've thought about bringing in house linguists. you know. Um, it's really looking at what is the goal of, of the localization team as it aligns with the business needs just just assessing that the cost benefit there's pros and cons to both absolutely and what is your expertise in house as well who is leading your localization and globalization team is it someone who has built out extensive in house teams or are they more experienced with working with with a vendor yeah there's there's pros and cons for sure um Fourth.
1: Well, and and to, to your point, uh, in order to have or maintain an in-house team, obviously, it's mm-hmm. not just a matter of bringing in some people and, and getting them to translate. Um, there might be times when volumes may dictate that you don't have any people at all for a specific language because you're dealing exactly. with so many different markets.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. For,
1: for large multinational enterprises, uh, I'm guessing it's difficult to centralize everything when they operate in tens of countries with different laws, cultures, languages, demographics, and so on. Should mm-hmm. localization teams be be centralized? Or does it make sense to have in-country localization units? Uh, What is the ideal structure? Yeah,
0: again, I don't know what the ideal structure um, would be. Um, it, It really depends on the business and their traction in these countries and the needs. I mean, different industries are going to have more regulations than others, more, you know, more laws to abide by than others. Um, like the healthcare industry, for example, or even, you know, our video surveillance equipment, we have different regulations, different, you know, privacy laws for different countries. So um, it, it really depends on the industry. And I personally think having as much centralized as possible keeps things consistent, but you do need on the ground, you need on the ground salespeople. You need, maybe you need data centers. Maybe you need, you know, warehouses to save costs on on shipping. So yeah, it really depends on the business and the industry, I think. Um, but but about a hybrid model, I think you need both.
1: Speaking of which, do you sometimes rely on local staff who are not localization related to help and, um, and, and connecting you with the local markets?
0: Absolutely. Our global sales team um, are crucial to assisting me and my team in prioritizing um, of course sales teams ask for a lot um, so we need to bring in you know other teams to help prioritize but yeah i mean our global sales teams are our eyes and ears and feet on the street so i am very connected with them i meet with them regularly um, they act as our icrs to review marketing content to make sure that it's resonating um, i don't think you can be effective without some someone on the ground in country to to be keeping you up to date with with what's needed.
1: So uh, and as a support role the localization team responds to content transformation demand from marketing, HR and other business units as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Is there enough awareness about the output of this team and uh, within the organization that when there is a localization hiccup like you know we've all had those situations it is mm-hmm. not a surprise for customer service or others. And they know that it, it came from localization. It's not an issue related to, to the code itself, for example.
0: Mm-hmm. I would say there's enough, if, if you mean, if, I would say there's enough awareness that any issue that is reported gets back to our team. Um, if it if the issue is reported to sales directly, the entire global sales organization is aware of my team. Um, oh, I forgot to mention I another opportunity to to present and be visible is at our annual global sales conferences, I've had the opportunity to present about my team and what we do. And we're here to support them and to, you know, give us feedback on how we're doing um, that sort of thing. So um, from a sales perspective, they come straight to me, (laughs) because they know me, Um, customer support, at some point, if customer support escalates it up, somebody will know about my team, Um, So it comes back to that question from before, you know, what is the visibility of my team within the organization? It'll find us eventually. Um, It all depends on the level of awareness of where that hiccup occurred in the first place.
1: Is there a process, a defined process for escalating an issue related to uh, a localization bug, for example, that would, you know, get channeled to you? Is everybody aware of how to follow the process?
0: For software? Yes, absolutely. yeah. I was just gonna say for software absolutely it goes you know tech support development team assigned to our team
1: okay so uh, and what about the end clients uh, when do they ever think of localization as a product or byproduct of your transaction with the enterprise with the brand
0: mm-hmm. I don't think end customers, Think about that at all i think on customers in fact on that note i don't think and customers really think about any of the factors that put together the product that they have all they care about is their experience um their end user experience you know um if there's something wrong with the translation then that's on the brand um if it breaks that's on the brand um if it's hard to use then you know it's it's all one and the same i don't personally think from my experience if if a product isn't working for me i don't think, you know, which department was responsible for that. I just associate it with the brand.
1: So uh, lo- the localization team is an enabler of um, communication or interaction between the customer and the product. I think more mm-hmm. than anybody else, we're more, we gain more exposure. Uh, does mm-hmm. it ever come to the spotlight for um, anything that the customers you've probably have heard that they want, they're complaining specifically about localization?
0: Um... To be honest, we haven't really heard a lot. What we hear most is they want more language support.
1: (laughs) That's the good news.
0: Yeah, it is the good news. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Customers. I mean, we we have a very large global footprint. Evigilon has a very interesting history. From from the time of of being a small startup, the global strategy was to hire salespeople um, around the world and and think about all the details later. And so because we had such a a, a great value proposition, you know, we became quite successful and, and it's been really the last several years catching up to our success and making sure that we're, Delivering um, the same quality in other countries as, as we are here. So, yeah, to answer your question, we don't really hear a lot of complaints from the field. Um, just wanting more more language support.
1: How do you track the demand for new languages? Or, you know, if, if you're already in a market and they want to add an additional language, how, how do you track all of that? And how do you justify and budget for it?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this comes back to um, every department. Every department owns their own budget. Budget, um localization budget and you know i influence that i guide and advise and you know in some cases really try to drive and push on behalf of the global sales team i'm the voice for them and they're the voice for me um right. so yeah the the process is is still a little bit ad hoc um we have worked towards formalizing it at the end of the day product product managers are the ones that decide um what languages are highest priority. But it is a collaborative effort. You know, I've we've started to drive more formalized meetings between product management, global sales, myself, and engineering to, to figure out these priorities. So we're continuing to refine that process. Let's just say we're getting there. It used to be a lot more reactive, and we're moving more towards being more strategic and, and looking at, you know, metrics such as revenue by country and, you know, website visits and looking for opportunities to Obtain metrics that will help build build a business case.
1: So going back to localization vendors and and they're uh, probably some of the audiences of this this podcast. In fact, majority of them. How has their expectation changed over time? Do they lead conversations today with regards to new technologies and efficiencies that uh, that could benefit the enterprise, or is it the other way around for you?
0: Um, yeah, I think we touched on this a little bit before. It's it goes both ways. Um, so we are a team. Um, you know, ourselves that the vendor is an extension of our team and you know, if, if one side identifies an area of opportunity where we can streamline or adopt a new tool or integrate with a tool, then it, it's really a team effort.
1: Localization vendors, they they want to help. They are hungry for growth. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously your success means success for them. In my opinion, that is dependent on the growth of their customer's localization efforts. Are they responsive to the changing needs of localization buyers like your department? What can they do better?
0: Um. They, in my case, I would say they're absolutely responsive and, and proactive. So I think just, just continuing to do that um, as a client, it's really interesting. I mean, I we make efforts to interact with other clients, um, other buyers, to, to share stories, share experiences, share successes, share challenges. Um, but vendors really have a unique uh, perspective because they work with so many different clients and they see, all the varying ways that enterprises have teams. And so, you know, leaning on our vendors to share experience, obviously there's NDAs, and there's only there's so much information you can share. But you know, and even in some cases, connecting us with other clients to talk about, you know, if a vendor said, Hey, you know, we think there's an opportunity to become more efficient by doing this, one of our other clients does this, do you want me to ask them, If they can talk to you about it and and we've done that and sometimes it works for us and sometimes it doesn't work for us, so. um, I think vendors, I think that's a real opportunity for vendors um, to really leverage that and maybe internal i've never worked for on the vendor side before, but I can imagine opportunities for project managers to come together. And you know, share notes um, and say, "Hey, look, this client we just had major success." And then you know, sharing that information with another PM, and then that vendor PM can share that with their client, and and really taking advantage of the the variety of experiences that vendors have.
1: Absolutely, there is a notion, Paula, that we sell uh, translation as localization vendors. Uh, what does that mean for you? Does your organization, uh, Vigilon, for example, or Morola, buy translation from a vendor, or some sort of value that is tangible and shows up in your enterprise's bottom line?
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, definitely not just buying translation. And I think I've I've, I've sprinkled in details about this throughout our, our interview so far. Yeah, they they're they're our partner. Um, they are our partner, and they they. Absolutely contribute to to the the evolution of our localization program and does contribute to our bottom line, you know, we moved from localization testing in person to automating um, by producing localized screenshots and um, of course that's going to change how the vendor supports us in localization testing. And so, you know, we work together with them to create a new process. And and now we're spending less money, less time on localization testing and that required collaboration with the vendor to to make that happen.
1: Paula, how do you see localization department structures, their work processes and the output of their work changing with the proliferation of automation in the form of, uh, for example, machine translation and other similar technologies?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, localization departments will always need people no matter how much is automated, what those people what what those people do will will probably change. But you know, language and cultures and human behaviors are always evolving, and we'll always need humans to keep up with these human changes. You know, there's there's always discussions, there's always that fear. You know, AI automation coming in replacing us, um, replacing right. our jobs. I think our jobs just just need to evolve and really focus on all the things we've talked about already. You know, looking for areas of opportunity to improve, looking for areas of opportunity to, to grow in certain regions, in certain areas, and then building more technical expertise into your team. You know, we started with that computing science co-op student and, you know, building more of that and, and having to rely less on development teams to assist in our automation and and. Bring more of that expertise in, but you know we need the curious people. We need the people to to identify what needs to be changed and and how we can evolve and become more efficient.
1: Uh, we just celebrated the start of the new year. What are your predictions for 2022? If you were to take a bird's eye view of the localization industry, Paula, how do you see things changing this year?
0: Um, I I, I would like to see a continuation of. The incredible collaboration within our industry, um, and that's like vendors and clients. Like I, what I love about our industry is that oftentimes you can't tell if somebody works on the client side or the vendor side. We're all in this together, looking for ways to transform our industry. So I don't know if I see a lot of change. I would like to see a continuation of of what I've seen in the last year or two, in particular with you know more online opportunities um, to engage and. All of us working together to address these challenges i guess one thing that if we continue on this trend um is that you know i'll i'll have to explain um less and less what what i do you know you meet somebody for the first time what do you do oh localization Localize what like nobody knows <laughs> <laughs> and so i'm i'm hoping I'm, I'm guessing that this will this will change over time yeah so not a lot of change just i i hope we continue down the path of of where we've been going.
1: Absolutely. We have reached the end of this conversation, Paula, and I wanted to ask you for your message or advice for industry peers and uh, other enterprise localization departments, translation and localization providers, as well as the industry in general. What would you like to tell them?
0: Um, I just want to reiterate, there are a million and one different ways to approach localization and globalization. There is not just one. Um, Take the time to understand as a, on the client side, take the time to understand your business and how the organization operates and what some of the pain points are. Um, talk to the people in every department and learn how they work, what they do, what, if any, pain points exist in doing business internationally. Um, be curious, ask questions, essentially create your own role. You know, it's our, uh, the big part of our job is, is communication and, you know, problem solving and so you know for for people in the industry on on the client side you know it's it's really up to you and then on the vendor side you know i mean similar things can apply um take the time to understand your client's business and organization and maybe ask some probing questions um that might help help them ask the questions you know like we are all in this together so um
1: absolutely yeah. that was a, a very very fascinating conversation Paula I enjoyed speaking to you and learning from you about uh, enterprises how they conduct localization and uh, equally important is that we, if we were able to help the localization industry both the supply side and the buyer side to get a glimpse of how a localization department functions mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping uh, localization vendors took note of your thoughts and concerns and think of ways to deliver solutions that are of better value and fit for enterprises like yours mm-hmm. with that I want to thank you and Uh, look forward to speaking with you soon in a future episode.
0: Great. Thanks so much for having me. It was nice speaking with you.
1: Enterprises continue to double down on global growth and expansion. While multinationals drive the demand for enterprise localization, the structure and setup of localization initiatives remain fragmented. There is no framework or one-size-fits-all approach to implementing an enterprise localization program. People like Anna Schlegel have written extensively on the basics of developing a localization structure for large organizations. But at the end, the objectives and nature of enterprises dictate on where this activity fits. For example, Some enterprises may centralize their localization efforts, while others may want to keep their efforts very decentralized to ensure full autonomy for their teams and local markets. Localization vendors must understand how these different setups require different solutions and propose them in a way to address their unique challenges. That's our show for today and I hope you liked this episode. The aim was to provide an inside look into how an organization like Motorola Solutions operate in the localization context. If you have suggestions or any specific topics or guests, please get in touch. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice and give us a thumbs up or five stars for this episode to boost our ratings. Until next time. Thank you.